Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What's going on, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix back here for another episode on The Code. And uh, I'm super excited about this interview that we have lined up this morning. Um, I'm back in the office at Trivita Functional Medicine talking to Corey Feldman, one of the owners here and the primary provider here at Trivita. And those of you that listen to this show may have remembered he was actually on this podcast very early on. We had one of the first handful of interviews was right here in this office. Mm -hmm. And um, Corey, thanks again for joining me, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is going to be fun. We're going to get into, you know, sort of the topic of heart health, um, talk about athletics a little bit on this episode. But what I would love for you to do, just in case somebody hasn't had an opportunity to go back and listen to that other one, uh, where we talked a lot about Trivita and about functional medicine, would you do us a favor and just sort of like reintroduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and your background. And um, yeah, let us know who Corey is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I started my medical journey uh, as an athletic trainer, and maybe for those of you who don't know what, who an athletic trainer is, it's that that person who runs out on the field when someone's hurt. That's just the, the tip of the iceberg as to what they do. They they focus on you know, rehabilitation and sports performance and nutrition and all these different things. So that's where I got my introduction to, to medicine in high school, college, and even at the professional level, working with the Denver Broncos and the Colorado Crush and the arena football team when they were they were around, um, wanted to expand my horizon. So I went to a uh, PA school, uh, physician assistant, now called a physician associate, mm. a, a name change there. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. Uh, worked in family practice, ER, urgent care, was really finding that I wasn't really helping people the way I wanted to help people. Um, I was just really band-aiding problems mm. um, and watching, literally watching people die of preventable diseases around me. Uh, day in and day out. And so um, found functional medicine uh, very much by accident uh, and have been practicing it ever since. And that was uh, 11 years ago. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. No, I did not know that the sort of title just changed there from physician assistant to associate. When did that officially take place? I think it's still officially happening yeah, in, but, the works. Uh, in the works, but uh, only just like two or three months ago. Got it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I like it. Yeah. I like it. So you said you started out your journey as a athletic trainer, found functional medicine. When was it that, like, what year was it that you sort of made that transition into the functional medicine realm? Medicine space? Probably, gosh, it was 10 years ago. So now, like, uh, 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. It's hard to believe that 10 years has passed probably since you started that. And I know you spent some time working in the sports medicine side of things as well. I know recently here, you guys have some exciting things happening here at Trivita where you're getting more into like the athletic side of things. I know you've spent a lot of time really helping people uncover the root cause of, you know, issues that they've been dealing with and maybe people who have bounced around the medical system and been unable to find solutions to their problems. You help them uncover the stones to figure out what's going on. Um, but now you're sort of 
moving more into the performance and sort of the optimization side of things. Um, so sort of talk us through that transition just a little bit. Not that you're stopping doing what yeah. you've been doing, but um, just go in a slightly different angle to help right. more people. You know, when I worked in athletics, I, I loved working with athletes because athletes in general are, are very driven and they mm -hmm. want um, to do whatever is necessary to to be optimal performers. And um, you don't, you know, they don't require a lot of handholding or, or uh, you know, convincing as to as as to what to do. So that's something I always loved about athletes. Is I would tell them to do something and they would do it, and then they had good results because of it. Um, and so I, I really love that population, and, and I want to work with them again. And, and being an athlete myself, I'm always looking for that next edge and sure. next something. Um, so, you know, everything I'm, I'm recommending, I've, I've either done or am doing on myself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, things we're working on constantly with, with everyone, but specifically with athletes is, uh, you know, nutrition, sleep, mm -hmm. uh, exercise and sports performance, heart health yeah. is another huge thing. Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name, unfortunately, but you know, the, the Buffalo bill who, um, who died on the field? I apologize. Yeah, Demar Hamlin. Demar Hamlin. Mm -hmm. I apologize yep. for his name. Um, you know, no. Look, I don't know the whole story, but uh, that was probably very much preventable if he had something called an echocardiogram done to see that he had an enlarged heart and to see that there was a problem. So we're even doing things like that just to make sure that these these types of things don't happen to any mm -hmm. athlete. Yeah. So looking at athlete athletics from a whole perspective, preventative but also performance-based. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, um, fill me in, or not, like, I know a little bit about this, but maybe not the people listening to this show. Uh, what's your athletic background like? Yeah. I know you've been involved in mixed martial arts, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I was, I, I grew up kind of a, I call myself a fat kid. You know, I, I wasn't the, the most athletic kid growing up, but uh, came into my own around 13, 14 years old. But really, never was into sport, uh, into team sports, more individualized sports, martial arts. Starting with taekwondo, then moving to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kempo karate, mm -hmm. things like that. I uh, also ran cross country in high school, but yep. mainly, uh, and then I uh, lift a lot of weights. And, and any excuse to be athletic, I would be athletic. Yeah, but uh, yeah, mainly martial arts is my is my form of athleticism. Yeah, and I spend so much time in. Um, you know, growing up in like the team sport side of things. And then more as I got into high school, then I started to wrestle. Um, that was kind of more my, okay, now it's this is an individualized, it's a team, but it's individual, right? Um, there's one person from each team on the mat at a time. And um, very different, right? But two very different sort of mediums there. And then so many people find the gym as like their their competition realm. Now, when was it like, we're let's sort of start to dive down this heart health side of things of you mentioned of course sleep is very important nutrition is very important not just for athletes but for everybody but um you know heart health is something that um you know for maybe the average person like we all know okay we should try to sleep eight hours a day we should eat quote unquote healthy whatever you know there's a lot of maybe definitions of that depending on who you ask but um what is it that makes you like particularly interested or curious about like the heart health side of things when it comes to athletes? Right. Well, one of the big triggers for, for my interest in heart health was uh, a friend of mine passing away mm. from, a, from a heart attack at the age of 53, a, a very active, um, vibrant 
man I would call him. I mean, he was a mentor of mine. Uh, died suddenly after jujitsu class, driving home from jujitsu class. I uh, died of a heart attack at the age of 53. So that was kind of a spurring moment. Um, you know, everyone was just shocked that this person, you know, this happened to this person. So that was kind of a spurring moment for heart health for me. Um, and then also with myself having high genetically, very high cholesterol. And, um, you know, this person I'm talking about who passed away, him and I had very similar mentalities, very similar lifestyles. So I saw myself being him if I didn't change something. Uh. So that's that was a really big spurring moment for me. Um, and then, you know, watching people like DeMar Hamlin die on the field. I mean, that's 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 not the first time that's ever happened. That that happens over and over again. Or you hear the story of the guy who's 50 years old, perfect shape, dying on the treadmill. Yeah. Right. How does that happen? Right. Yep. You know, so all these things were just accumulating in my brain. And I said to myself, I I, I bet I could figure this out and mm -hmm. that we could we could fix this. And this doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you've heard stories like that where mm -hmm. like an extremely fit triathlete or something has heart complications and from the surface view, you're like, I don't understand how this happens. This person exercises all the time. They're ex they're more fit than any of their peers. Um, but yet something like this happens, um, you know, without asking like too broad of a question, mm -hmm. generally, like, why is it that something like that happens? Like in a person like that, who otherwise appears very, very healthy. You know, the most common thread is genetics. I mm -hmm. believe. Um, you know, uh, it's just that they're, they're born that way. And the big problem is no one looks at these people um, in depth heart wise uh, because because they do look a certain way and they can perform and they're not 50 pounds overweight or a smoker or have high blood pressure or have diabetes mm -hmm. you know these are the people they got like fine tooth comb looked at from a cholesterol and heart perspective where you know people who are just kicking ass on on in life and in exercise um, either one don't get looked at or two don't even think to go in yeah to get looked at Yep. Yeah. So that's that's. I think that's the biggest reason stuff gets missed, and the, the biggest reason it happens in the first place is is generation dynamics. Yeah, and I think I'm glad you mentioned that. Like, don't even go in or think to go in because I think I don't know. This might just be my perception. I feel like this happens a little bit more now, where maybe the average person doesn't go to their physician's office quite as regularly as like probably my parents' generation did. Right, where it's. I remember when I was growing up, whether this was because I, you had to have it for uh, sports in high school, but you had to have like an annual physical and you had to like turn in like an A-OK -okay from the physician that you're able to play sports at school. But now I probably haven't had one of those in, man, I don't know how long. The last provider that I came in to see for a screening was you um, about a year ago or maybe just over a year ago um, to kind of go through that panel and that assessment. Um, but I haven't been to the quote unquote traditional physical, uh, me, physical therapy, the mm -hmm. traditional physician office for many years. Um, you know, and I've pretty much used as my wife and I, Aaron, have moved around. My quote, primary care has basically just been urgent care when I feel like I have an issue. I have strep throat or, or whatever. I'm not quite sure why that is, why it seems like maybe people aren't going in for their regular screenings as often, unless there's a problem. Right. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a paradigm shift in, in people. Yeah. I think, I think the days of, 
the family practice physician are, are coming, again, I don't want to make that broad of a statement, but are kind of coming to a close, mm -hmm. right? Um, our generation, you know, 30s, 40s, 50-year-old people, you know, a lot of them, I, I find, don't have a primary care physician yeah. person they go to all the time, which, again, is is, is okay, but you need to be, I mean, personally, this is my opinion, you need to be getting checked in on every three, six, at the most, 12 months, mm -hmm. you know, to, to make sure that, you know, everything's looking good. And at this moment in time, blood work seems to be, you know, the, the one of the better ways. But, I mean, we could talk about, you know, if we have the time, there, there's a million other ways to look into the body safely. Yeah. To see what's going on but at least getting some blood work done every three six twelve months mm -hmm. would you know would benefit anybody yeah yeah and so for someone listening to this show as like an actionable step that they might be able to take no matter who their traditional uh, family or primary care provider is is the typical blood panel that you might get right if you fast in the morning you go in for a lab test you get your blood drawn is is what generally gets uh assessed in those tests going to be sufficient in order to potentially catch or clue the provider into some of these issues that we might get into talking about right the yeah. the apparently fit person who underlying might have heart complications is that normal blood panel going to catch the things that it needs to catch in order to clue us into that you're, you're a great cure upper man. <laughs> yeah um in my opinion no Okay. No, not, no, unfortunately, you know, I have a lot of people coming in here uh, and talking to me and they bring in their blood work and they're, they're, they're very happy with their blood work. Like, look at how much blood my, my doctor gave me. And I, and I look at the blood work and, and I, and I want to caveat before I say this, I want to caveat by saying, I hope I'm okay with this language is I'm not a dick. And I am not a type of person who's going to tell you, well, your doctor's stupid and I'm smart and sure. they're, they're they're dumb and I'm 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 the best, they're the worst. I'm never going to say that. Yeah. But the blood work I see people getting is very surface level. Mm -hmm. And it's basically if that blood work is off, you have big problems. So then stuff really yeah. off. Right. Yeah. So your average person who who's generally healthy get gets that blood work done, it should be okay. Pretty good. It yeah. should be fine. Right. Um, it's not until you dig a lot deeper mm -hmm. and, and we can get into that if you want to, but you know, my blood work is about 200 tests long. Yeah. Right. And that's how you get to these underlying problems that may not be a problem yet. You may not be able to feel it yet, mm -hmm. but it's coming. And yeah. It's just a matter of time. Well, so you just mentioned, you know, you think it is a smart practice to every three, six, 12 at the most months. Mm -hmm get regular testing done so you can track where you're at. Um, and as we know, what gets measured gets managed, right? If you don't check things, well, how would you know? Um, so in the traditional, typical blood panel, what are the things that are commonly looked at in that? And then, you know, as the second part to that question, what other things does that miss that we should be looking at? Like, I know you said you don't have to name off all 200 different yeah. tests, but like, what are the highlights, right? What are the things that gets looked at in the basic blood panel? And then what are the things that you additionally try to look for in a more thorough screening for somebody? So your traditional blood panel, and, and, and again, it, it depends on your doctor, but generally your traditional blood panel includes something called a CBC, which looks at your white blood cells, red blood cells, platelets, all the pieces, parts, size, shape, production of that. Great test, but again, very surface level. 
uh, something called a CMP or a comprehensive metabolic panel, looking at liver, kidney, electrolytes, bones, muscles. Again, a great test, but again, very surface level. Um, something called a TSH, which is uh, not your thyroid, but your brain's connection to your thyroid. And, and maybe if you're lucky, a T4 and a T3, which is the actual production of um, the thyroid hormone. And, you know, uh, maybe a vitamin here and there, a vitamin D, uh, a B12, maybe an iron, uh, maybe a ferritin, which is the stored form of iron. Um, but, you know, that's, and then, then if, you're, if you're having a specific problem, maybe they'll add something else to it. Yeah. Um, that's not it. Okay. That's about it. Um, yeah. And and again, if if you see problems in those tests, you've got much bigger problems. Okay. Right. And so then the, the, the second part of that question is then then what should we test? We should test all those things. So don't get me wrong. All those things that I just mentioned should be tested consistently. Yeah. And those are part. All those things are part of my testing. But you know we need to see. How is your gut gastrointestinal system working? How well are you digesting, absorbing foods? How well are you absorbing nutrients? So not just vitamin D, not just B12, but all your nutrients, zinc, selenium, copper, iodine, you name it. You know, all these different things need to be assessed as well. Hormones and not just thyroid, but there's 50 that we know of. I believe there's more. We just haven't discovered them yet, but there's 50 at least that we know of major hormones in the body and Hormones are the communicators, along with neurotransmitters. Hormones are the communicators of the body. And it blows my mind that no one's testing hormones. Or if they are testing hormones, they're testing one or two, which is unfortunately just looking through a pinhole of what you could be actually mm-hmm. testing. And, you know, then testing other stress responses, you know, inflammation markers, CRP, ESR, uric acid. There's so many different inflammatory markers that need to be tested as well to try to find try to find uh, root causes of why your body's inflamed. And then, as as maybe some of us know, inflammation is then what triggers a disease process. Sure. So stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's basically like what we're saying is, hey, here's all these major bullet points that the basic blood panel does assess for. But we need to be reading in between the lines because in between each of those bullet points, there's a lot of sub bullet points that that really clue us into what is actually driving what that number is. Right. What's driving what that value is. If you're, you know, and the thing I think that gets maybe uh, misunderstood and brought up the most is like the cholesterol, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Right. People are like, oh, my HDL and my LDL. Well, it's a li- there's a little bit more to it than just that. Um, and, you know, maybe we should unpack that just a little bit. Yeah. But, um, well, why don't we do that real quick? And then then we can keep going down down this rabbit hole on like yeah. the heart health and how uh, how that plays in to the athletic side of things. But, um, you know, most people I still hear people talking about like good cholesterol, bad cholesterol and what my triglycerides are. Mm-hmm. So when when you assess somebody's blood and their uh, lab values, what are you looking for from a cholesterol standpoint in the blood? And yeah, forgive me, I forgot to mention, you know, on the basic blood work, you know, yeah, the cholesterol's usually, um, usually assessed. And and, in in your basic blood work, you have the total cholesterol, LDL, HDL, triglycerides. Mm -hmm. Again, important numbers, but 
very surface level and not the whole picture. So if, if you really want to look at cholesterol, what you what you need to do is you, you need to break it down into pieces. So to be quite honest, I don't really even look at total cholesterol anymore because I equate total cholesterol to your body weight. Mm -hmm. You know, you could weigh 200 pounds and be all muscle or be all fat. Sure. It doesn't matter. 200 pounds is 200 pounds. Are you muscle? Are you fat? That won't tell you. Just saying 200 pounds won't tell you that. Yeah. Same thing with total cholesterol. It could be a lot of good cholesterol. It could be a lot of bad cholesterol. It could be, it could be good. It could be bad. So again, that's, that's a little bit of a misnomer. So I really honestly don't look at that much anymore. Um, what you need to look at when you're when you're really looking at cholesterol is is size, shape, production, and transportation of cholesterol. So size. When it comes to cholesterol, we want big, fluffy cholesterol, not small and dense. The more small and dense a cholesterol is, the more damaging it is. The more it, it has chance to go into the artery and start placking up. Mm. Right. So the bigger and fluffier it is, the less chance it's going to actually bypass the artery through, yeah. and mm -hmm. build up. Right. Shape production again the more cholesterol you produce and this is genetic by nature mm -hmm. um, i personally have i'm a very high cholesterol producer by nature um the more you produce you know in the liver is mainly where you produce cholesterol in every cell of your body just fyi you produce cholesterol in every cell of your body but the liver is one of the main sources of, of cholesterol production if if you're a heavy cholesterol producer from your liver and other cells again the more cholesterol you have, the better chance of it placking up. Sure. And then you also have to look at how fast is it oxidizing? How fast is it hardening? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, how fast is it hardening? And, and there's there's a marker on, on your blood called oxidized LDL that you can you can measure to see how fast you're hardening. Cholesterol needs to harden. It does. Cholesterol helps give you shape to your body and shape to your cells. So it needs to harden. Otherwise you'd just be a big pile of mush. But if it hardens too fast, that's when lumps and bumps and, and plaques start to form. Got it. And then, you know, the final piece of that is, is how is the cholesterol being transported to and from cells? And, and there's a marker called ApoB, uh, which is a huge, uh, important marker to measure because that's honestly most recently been linked to heart attack and stroke most in mm. high ApoB. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, and that gets screened in the, the test that you're mentioning. Um, now, is somebody who might be listening to this or, you know, a family member that we might go talk to, is that something that if they go to their physician's office, they can ask for, hey, we're doing this blood test. I want to know what my ApoB is. I want to know what this stuff looks like if that's not something that's already in the basic sort of screening. They can ask. Yeah. <laughs> You can ask for anything, and and any MD, DO, nurse practitioner, PA, anyone who has the ability to draw blood, can order whatever you want them to. Yeah, they may make the argument of, well, insurance won't cover it. Sure, and and then you have to make the decision. Like, do you want to pay twenty bucks? Which again, I don't know your financial situation, but I think twenty bucks is worth getting an ApoB test done, and it, it's it's worth the money, but. Yeah, if insurance doesn't cover it, it may cost 10, 20 bucks to get it done and just you know bite the bullet and do it. Yeah. You can order any test you want. The, the only argument they will have, a couple arguments they may have is one, insurance might co not cover it. And two, 
if if they're honest with themselves, and, and I love a doctor who is honest, I don't know what to do with that information. Sure. Yeah. Right. I am not a cardiologist. I don't know what to do with it. I wasn't trained on how I can get you that, but I don't know what to do with the information. Mm-hmm. So, but the, the bottom line is you can ask for any test you want. And and, and this is my opinion. If your doctor is not willing to give you the tests you want within reason, go get a new doctor. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say the same things, um, you know, if somebody was seeing me as a provider, if if I'm not able to listen to them and take their thoughts and inputs into consideration within reason, right, mm-hmm. then maybe maybe they should seek out a new provider. Hopefully that doesn't happen in um, in our office. But um, one thing that I do like, and I, I try to do a good job at this too, if I'm unsure of something, man, it's, it is okay to say, you know, I don't know, but let me try and help you either find the resource the right person, or let me try and find out that information with you. Um, yeah, if the, if the provider doesn't know what to do with that information, don't pretend that you do. Just say so, because the client typically is going to um, appreciate you and respect you more for uh, for doing that and not just like making up some information. So say somebody is, you know, interested in getting one of these these panels done, right? They're an otherwise healthy person, but they've heard this podcast or seen other resources. And they're like, you know what? I need to go get that screening. I'm not necessarily feeling any issues, but I want to prevent one of these traumatic situations from happening. Um, Do you have that conversation with people often? And then what does that sort of like, I don't know, trajectory or progression look like as we go down the line of say that test comes back and it does show things that might be concerning, right? It's like, okay, we got this healthy parent person, but we found things that maybe don't look so good on this test. Now, what do we do? Yeah. I mean, so bottom line, I'd recommend everyone do these type of tests, Mm -hmm. right? You know, healthy, unhealthy, whatever you got going on, I'd recommend people do these type of tests. That's better. In my opinion, it's better to look than not look. Um, if it comes back great, then it comes back great. But if it, but if it does come back off, and, and I'll even take that back, even if it comes back great, something I would recommend. So if it comes back great, if it comes back off, I would recommend that that people do do this, that they look inside their arteries. Okay. So I have seen people with perfect cholesterol still placking in their arteries, still mm. placking. And, and there's a lot of reasons why that can happen. Maybe, you know, that, that may not be, we may not have time to discuss why, you know, in this podcast, but you can still plaque even with perfect cholesterol, right? Due to other sources of inflammation and other problems you have going on in your body. And, and, and just a quick aside is plaquing is your body's way of trying to fix itself. It's a healing mechanism. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think, well, this stroke or this heart attack is my body working against me. Actually, it was trying to save you. It just overcorrected because you, it just, it, the problem never stopped. And so the healing never stopped. So that's just something to be aware of. But so even if you have perfect cholesterol, you are, you're still not out of the woods. You, you still should get your arteries looked at. And there's a lot of ways to look at someone's arteries, um, in the brain and the heart, broad arteries, all these different things. So personally in my office, what, what we do, is uh, we do a couple different things. We do carotid ultrasounds. So, um, you know, I have twice a month, I, I have, you know, time where people come in and get carotid ultrasounds done. Now, there's two types of carotid ultrasounds. There's regular carotid ultrasounds, and then there's something called CIMT ultrasounds. I recommend CIMT for what I'm doing. 
Um, CIMT stands for uh, carotid intermedial thickness ultrasounds, looking at the thickness of the artery, looking at the inflammation of the artery, and then looking at the plaque of the artery. Mm. The, the thicker and more inflamed the artery is, the more likely you are to develop plaque. And so we need to know this type of stuff. We need to know how much plaque you're dealing with. And there are ways to fix these things. So um, even if you have perfect cholesterol, and especially if you don't have good cholesterol, because that's something I really recommend you do. Five minutes, no radiation, great information. A couple other tests I'd really recommend is something called a calcium score, which uh, is radiation-based. It's, it's a low-level radiation. It's a high-powered X-ray, low-level CAT scan of your heart and your, your coronary arteries, looking for hard plaque. So there's a difference. There's soft plaque and hard plaque. This is looking for hard plaque by itself. And then the, the last one, and I'd say the most invasive, uh, is something called a CT angiogram. I don't do a ton of those for a lot of reasons, but uh, it, it's very effective, very good. I would not steer you away from doing that. But, you know, a lot of people don't like dye injected into their bodies and, you know, radiation and, and things like that. So it, it's a cost-benefit analysis you need to have with your provider or I'd have with you if, if you were talking to me. Um, but it, it shows hard plaque, soft plaque within the coronary arteries. Probably the best test outside of literally going in with a camera through your femoral artery and snaking it into to a coronary artery. Yeah. That's probably the you know, next best to that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, kind of this like, cost versus benefit like you know what's the um what's the invasiveness of the test what are you actually able to deduce from this test and you know what's the one that you want to pick based on the situation I and mean, it sounds like probably the two more common ones that you mentioned are the the ultrasound of the carotid artery and the calcium score tests are probably those two more most common ones that get done um that you recommend to people yeah. a lot What's up, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix here from The Code. And I want to encourage you to check out our friends at Flux Footwear, the only shoe with an adaptive sole that moves and flexes with you. Since I got my first pair, they've been one of my favorite shoes to wear no matter what activity I'm doing throughout the day. If you're looking for a shoe that can keep up with you're going to the gym, to the office, traveling, or just catching a coffee date, you're looking for Flux. Visit the link in the show notes or check out my Instagram to get 10% off and pick up your pair today. So say somebody who otherwise appears healthy goes and gets one of those tests. It comes back showing information that you would prefer it not show, right? It shows a little bit more plaque buildup or hardening or thickening than what you want. What are some of the next steps that then, then you would recommend to that person to, you know, they feel fine at the moment. They're working out, they're exercising, they're in great shape. And, but there's things that you would recommend addressing. Right. And um, just to, you know, something quick to be said is, the first symptom of heart attack is usually death. Right. Usually death. That's a good point to make. Yeah. So when you say, oh, they're feeling fine now. Well, yeah. I mean, it's generally, you hear about the, the chest pain and the left arm and the, maybe the nausea or the jaw pain or whatever. Most of the time, people just drop dead. So don't rely on not feeling good to... Uh, start looking at your heart. Yes, yes. Um, but if we find some stuff, so, I mean, gosh, whoever's listening to this, if you ever want to come talk to me and, and I'll show you my results. Um, the first time I did my carotid ultrasound, it was horrible. I had inflammation, I had plaque buildup. I said, damn it, this is, wow. I thought, I thought I had it all together and I thought I was doing great, but I wasn't for me. So 
what did I do? And and this is what I recommend to my, my clients most of the time. You know, I wasn't, you know, mine wasn't terrible. It was kind of mid-range. It wasn't, it wasn't not that bad. It was kind of mid-range. So when I see a kind of a mid-range inflammation, plaque buildup in someone's carotid arteries or calcium score, I start with lifestyle uh, and supplementation. Mm-hmm. Lifestyle being, being increased cardiovascular exercise, decreased sugar and carb consumption, because insulin plays a huge role in plaque formation and, and cholesterol and triglycerides. And then I, I, I did some supplements. And, and again, please talk to your doctor. You know, I'm gonna, just going to tell you what I did. Um, this is not a, a testament of what you should do. Please make sure you reach out to your medical provider, or if you want to, you can come talk to me about this and make sure this is right for you. But what I did is a combination of something called red yeast rice, bergamot, garlic, and coenzyme Q10, specifically biquinol coenzyme Q10. And if if you want to come see my results, they were tremendous, tremendously improved. We were just looking at those. Yeah, we yeah. At and them. they're definitely, and this was, if I remember the dates right, it was like, what, like a, seven yeah, like a seven month period in between yeah. the two tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And and sometimes that's enough for people and, and that's all they need to do. And they just need to continue doing that until the plaque clears. Because what you could see on my carotid ultrasound was my inflammation was basically gone and my plaque height had dropped by about 10%. So again, it's just a matter of being continuous about that. So that's kind of if you're intermediary. Mm-hmm. If you're severe though, if you have tons of plaque and you know it's very it's it's very high or, or blocking the artery significantly and you have a lot of inflammation, honestly, that's when I would go to medications. Um and, and what I have to remind people of, especially in this space, is medication is not the devil. Medication is not the devil, and medication is not a failure. Uh, medication is a tool. I hope you don't need to be on medication the rest of your life. And that's that's the whole point of this is catch it early, fix the problem, get off the medication. Mm-hmm. And then transition to supplements or transition to just lifestyle. Yep. Sometimes we are behind an eight ball that we need medication. And, and the medications that that I would recommend for someone who's really behind the eight ball is is a statin of some type. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of us might have heard of statins. But, uh, you know, decreasing the production of cholesterol, specifically from the liver. Um, so a statin, something called azetamide or zetia, which helps uh, block the absorption of cholesterol in the gut. And then the final thing I would recommend, again, depending on how, how far, far along and how progressed you are, is, is something called a PCSK9 inhibitor. The most famous one of those is Repatha, is what it's called. So those are kind of three medications. Yeah, again, that I'd either take in combination or one at a time to help really decrease cholesterol in someone who's really dependent people. Yeah. 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 So I think the, you know, the moral of the story is you've got to do an assessment to even check these things, right? Otherwise you just don't know. And like you said, oftentimes people who end up suffering a heart attack, they don't have symptoms before that happens, mm-hmm. right? They just have the heart heart attack, and there's a good chance they are not going to live through that. And so too often, I think someone who has a heart attack and does live through it, that's their wake up call, or that's their now warning. And now they get all these things checked, and then they start to change their lifestyle, and maybe they lose a bunch of weight or whatever that might be. If but they they didn't check those things before, right? And it maybe could have presented where 
they wouldn't have gotten to that point if they had, and then taken the steps like you just laid out, whether their lifestyle and supplementation to help address these things, or if necessary, use the medication for the tool that it is to, um, to help you try to rectify the situation. Yeah. 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 So then, um, now you guys, like we sort of mentioned uh, a little while ago, are getting into some cool things here at Trivita in terms of like kind of doing a all-encompassing assessment for high-level athletes of, you know, various age ranges. You know, tell me a little bit more about what you guys are doing there. And I guess like, I don't know what you're trying to accomplish with this program of like, you know, we're trying to improve the performance of people and we're trying to to make someone who may already be good great or something like that right yeah yeah i can't tell you how many elite level athletes that i've known throughout my life that slept terribly ate terribly didn't yeah. take any supplements and yet they were still just badass it's just unbelievable athletes and, and i would sit there and tell them god if you would just give me if you just let me look at your blood work get you on some supplements, help you with your sleep, optimize your diet. You could be a world champion. Yeah. Right? Just, you know, it's just, you're, I feel like your potential is being wasted, uh, you know, at this level because of just your lifestyle choices and things like that. So, you know, one thing we're really trying to do is, is, is optimize athletic performance through, through all avenues, um, nutrition being one of them. And, and, you know, there's a million diets out there, which one's the right diet for you. It, it really depends, at least what I'm finding is on the science. You know, how's your gut working? What's your microbiome look like? What are you digesting, absorbing nutrient-wise? Things like that. So we're doing a lot of, you know, gut testing, nutrient testing, to make sure uh, you're getting enough protein, carbs, fats, but also micronutrients for optimization of mitochondrial function mm -hmm. and, and body's ability. Um, so that comes down to gut and nutrients, um, hormone balancing. And, and again, you have to be careful, especially if you're an elite level athlete with doing certain, you know, hormone adjustments, making sure that, you know, whatever you're doing is, is legal in, in your type of sport. Um, so not necessarily just talking about putting people on hormones, but, you know, taking natural supplements or, or doing natural things to help improve hormonal function. Mm -hmm. Sleep is also another huge, uh, huge piece of, of, health and wellness. I mean, and you're hearing that more and more in professional sports, how, how people have sleep coaches now. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've partnered with a sleep coach that I've worked with personally and that I'm, I'm working with now to help athletes begin to sleep better so that they can recover. You know, if you're a fan of Andrew Huberman, which you should be, check him out on, on his podcast. He talks a ton about sleep and how important that is for mental and physical performance. Yeah. So if you're not sleeping well, again, I think you're leaving some stuff on the table. Also, you know, working with physio room and making sure that your body alignment and, and injuries are all optimized as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, muscle tone and muscle activation and all these other things are working as much as possible. So that's, that's really what we're doing. And then also in regards to heart health, doing echocardiograms to make sure that, you know, these sudden deaths that happen on the field are caught before they happen. And, and one of the most common reasons these sudden deaths happen is, is usually caused by something called hyper, you know, uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or you know, an enlarged heart that unfortunately it's really hard to hear with a stethoscope or really hard to find outside of doing an echocardiogram. So we're going to start doing echoes 
um, all of our athletes to make sure that stuff doesn't get missed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is, it is, it is rare. I'm using air quotes here, rare, but uh, it, it sucks if you're that, that one. Yeah. And it sucks for your family. Right. Right. Yeah. It's rare, but it happens, mm -hmm. right? It's, um, you know, it's something that with good screening, we can, um, you know, we can try to mitigate these risks as best, best that we can. And you're absolutely right on the, you know, all the stuff that you said, particularly the sleep performance, there's so much more information out there now about how important sleep is and how getting the proper rest can improve our performance. That wasn't even something that was talked about when, um, you know, when I was a kid playing sports. And I mean, it was, it was mentioned like, oh, you know, try to get a good night's sleep before, you know, the day before your event or whatever. But, but if that was pretty much it, that was like the the information there wasn't like the science behind it that we have now um fast forwarding you know half of my life later i think high school athletes especially are one of those groups of people that you know maybe aside from adult athletes that have kids and have jobs and whatnot like high school athletes are really busy they're you know they're going to school many of them are working many of them are in other clubs and activities outside of the sports that they're playing in the sport might be part of school it might be outside of school, right? They might play soccer for the school and soccer for a club or something like that. And their schedules are very daunting a lot of times. And um, I think some of the people that I've seen in the office or that our providers have seen in the office who have like the most restrictive schedules are those high level high school, high school athletes, right? right? More than anyone else. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's, it's also something we're really trying to work on is building it into their life, not throwing in another thing that they have to do right in an already crazy schedule yeah right, so trying to make it as easy as possible mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes like you said like you've worked with a sleep coach sometimes that's just what you need you need that coach or that guide mm -hmm. to like help you just kind of tweak things right not necessarily give you a bunch more things to do but how can we make make this one minor adjustment this other moderate adjustment and see those changes rather than additions really really you know spark the benefits or the changes that you're feeling right. and then yeah they're the performance potential i think that comes out of this is it's hard to measure because we don't know we don't know what the end result is but yeah i'm with you on that there are a lot of really high level athletes out there that they might not be taking care of their body from like a nutrition and a sleep and whatnot standpoint anywhere close to what we would consider optimal and they're still performing at a high level just imagine what uh you know what it could look like and you know I, I worked in professional sports and none of this i mean this was albeit 15 years ago but uh i saw none of this like we we eat pizza after the game and you know we you know it, it, it the nutrition was abysmal mm -hmm. right and there was and yes there was massage therapists and acupuncturists there's no dietitian there's no sleep coach right and, we weren't, you know, sports physicals, even at the professional level, were very minimal, no echocardiograms. Yeah. You know, so this is like, uh, I, I, I hope that this can translate into even professional, mm -hmm. university level and professional sports. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And I, I think I did an episode on this, you know, maybe a year ago about like sports recovery and all these different tools and modalities we have, massage and ice baths and heat and all this stuff. Well, you can't sports recovery in air quotes, your way out of a poor lifestyle, right? Like that stuff is the foundation. And then the sports recovery things that you can layer in on top of that help you with like that 
tip of the iceberg or the peak of the mountain, so to speak. But, you know, you can't massage your way out of not taking care of yourself out of sleeping four hours a night or whatever. It's, it's impossible, right? Though there's a huge time and a place for those things and they can be very beneficial, but they're even more beneficial if you lay a really good foundation through all the other things, the sleep, the nutrition, the whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the program you guys are putting together is awesome. And I think, um, you know, for those people that, whether it's here or anywhere else, start to focus on these things, this usually will drive the other things, right? Like what your performance is, is dictated by how you prepare and how you take care of yourself. So what else did we miss, Corey? We talked a little bit about, you know, about heart health, kind of the importance and the need for regular screening so that you can clue yourself and your your provider can get clued into what's going on under the hood, basically, right? When all else appeal, appears well. And then I think, you know, we started to talk about kind of from an athletic standpoint, how, you know, how you can fine tune things. And I kind of want to use the analogy of like, this kind of makes me think of like, most of us, quote unquote, normal people's uh, car that we drive around, right? Though it's basically the same thing, it's very different than a race car, right? Mm -hmm. A Formula One car or a NASCAR. Those things get fine-tuned even if there doesn't appear to be a problem, right? The mechanics are trying to optimize that for as peak of performance as possible. And at the end of the day, it's still a car, right? And it could get you from point A to B, but will it be able to perform at its maximum potential? Right. Absolutely. So, I mean... Gosh, one other thing I would I would just off the top of my head that I think we missed was an, another blood test that I think everyone should get is something called LP little A. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another uh, another test that I think everyone should get. Uh, that's the kind of genetic predisposition of how heavy a cholesterol producer you are. But even by itself is is a very dangerous cholesterol marker. But yeah, I mean, if if you could create. A, a kind of a checklist in your mind of, of all the different things that you can do to to optimize your vehicle in your body that would be ideal and uh, again unless you're trained in this type of stuff this this can seem very daunting so but, but let me just give you my checklist real quick to make sure that you're not missing anything and this is in no particular order but gut gastrointestinal system which includes the microbiome micronutrients food allergies food intolerances hormone balancing stress reduction and and when i say stress i'm talking about three types of stress chemical physical emotional right so emotional stress that's another big one Mm -hmm. especially when you're talking about sleep and performance i think any athlete knows that if they go on the field or court or whatever with a lot on their mind uh they're not going to do very well right right so you know emptying the brain, you know, meditation. These are all things that I, I think are hugely important, hugely missed. I mean, all of us make time to go to the gym or run or do physical activity. How many of us are actually making time? And I'm talking to myself included, sit down for 10 minutes and empty your brain. I'm glad you said you're talking to yourself included because I felt like you were talking to me. And um, you know, that's that's been an area that I'm trying to improve, improve for myself. So uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's not the American way. American way is go, 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 do, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. Well, I think I think that's up. And then that can cause heart problems and that can cause physiological breakdown. Sure. Like that. So, you know, stress management, chemical, physical, emotional, make sure your body's detoxifying appropriately. And, and, and I'm not talking about 
sticking the hose at your end or doing any type of doing hardcore fasting, which has its place for some people, or juice cleanses or anything like that. I'm talking about getting your body the right nutrients, fixing your gut, fixing your hormones. This is how your body detoxifies. And then exercise. Mm-hmm. When you do exercise, make sure you're exercising not only for your goals, but for your body type, for your body composition, for your hormones, for your sleep. Again, if you're not sleeping well, not eating well, your hormones are drastically out of balance, the last thing you want to do really is push yourself too hard because that will then perpetuate all these problems we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, you know, five point list is um, hugely important. And, you know, a lot of times we need a coach or a guide to help us figure out where those things are. What little pieces can we put into place to kind of optimize those those things? So I want to make sure we include this all in the show notes. This will be in there for you guys to click on. But Corey, how can somebody get in touch with you guys if, um, you know, Trivita is a place that they want to check out or they have questions? You know, we always I'll say this. I always end these podcast episodes and interviews with as soon as we hit the stop button, it's like, oh, shoot, we forgot to talk about this or we forgot to ask that question. So so those things are definitely going to happen if this episode brings up questions for people. How can they get in touch with you guys to um, to maybe ask those? Yeah, I mean, so you can always give our office a call at 720-428-8312 or go on to our website and book a discovery call. And, you know, all a discovery call is, it's it's 15 to 30 minutes free free of charge. And, you know, just want to get to know you, see what's going on and, and see if we can help. And, and we'll be the first to tell you if we can't help and we'll get you into the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can help and that's something, and if it's, you know, if what we're saying makes sense to you, then we go into a, an actual visit with with myself, where we sit down for like an hour, hour and a half, and really dissect what's going on, and, and most importantly, build a plan mm-hmm. moving forward. So what I tell people is, if you sit down with me for an hour, an hour and a half, whether we work together or not, you will come out with a plan. Um, whether you know I help you with the plan, or someone else helps you with the plan, or you do it yourself, you know that's up to you. But yeah, if if you want to sit down and build a plan with me, that's how we kind of get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll also include here in the show notes, you know, obviously the website, the phone and um, any other ways on the Internet that you want to get in touch with um, with Trivita, you guys. So, again, for all of you that tuned in to listen to this episode, Corey, thank you for joining me. Um, I hope you guys found some valuable information here on this episode of The Code and we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you so much. Thank you.